stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on this Friday afternoon. Our number, 403-974-8255. That's 974-TALK. And we'll get back to the phones later in this hour. Much more still to come on this Friday afternoon. Uh, it's about five days until a new American president is sworn in. Uh, Joe Biden will officially become uh, the president after he is inaugurated on Wednesday, sworn in as president. But the security for this, I think, is going to be rather unprecedented. And so as inspiring as this process can be to watch the, the world's biggest and arguably greatest democracy go through that transition of power, this time has been very different. And it's been very, I, I think, depressing almost to see the level of security, to see the National Guard troops on the ground in Washington, D.C., because the threat is coming from other Americans. And the concern is that as bad as things were on January 6th, that something even worse could occur. And so that, I think, is, is going to go down in history as a real black mark on American democracy, certainly uh, as a black mark on the very president who helped to incite that riot and that, uh, that, that siege on Capitol Hill. And Donald Trump's presidency is, in many respects, I think, ending in shame, ending in disgrace. He has now been impeached a second time. I think with just days left in his presidency, he's unlikely to be removed by the Senate and obviously unlikely to resign. But joining us to talk more about, well, everything that's transpired, certainly in the last uh, couple of weeks here, and I suppose it reflects on, on the last four or five years in American politics. Uh, David Frum joins us, staff writer uh, for The Atlantic, uh, also author of the book Trump uh, Trumpocalypse, Restoring American Democracy, uh, davidfrum.com. David, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I often think about something you tweeted um, back in 2019, that when this is all over, nobody will admit to ever having supported it. And we're certainly seeing, aren't we, David, in recent days, a lot of people distancing themselves from the president, uh, even those who were once close to him. But he definitely still has that, that following, though, doesn't he? A grip on the Republican Party. Well, there, there, were, there was a release of polls today that showed um, a, a sudden collapse in Donald Trump's poll measured support. Um, Pew, which is a very particularly good poll, has him at 29%, and which is the lowest point in his presidency, and that is driven entirely by an erosion of his support among Republicans. You see a lot of people who had important roles in his administration um, condemning uh, the riot the attack that the president incited, um, distancing themselves from it, acting surprised that, that it could happen. Even people who went along with uh, the claims, the false claims, that the election was somehow not accurate, uh, which was the justification for the riot. People who went along with uh, building the permission structure are now exiting uh, from the final result. So where, where does that leave uh, the, the Republican Party? Is it, is it still and is it likely to be uh, in, in the coming years Trump's policy either, you know, or Trump's party in terms of his, his own grip on the party or just that, that sort of Trumpism uh, that, that a lot of the party seems to be gripped with? Well, let's begin by thinking about what, what Americans mean when they say a party. Um, unlike in Canada, unlike in many uh, democracies, you don't, there's no such thing as a Republican Party membership card. You don't sign up, put your name on a website, or pay you know, $5 a year. Uh, you, you become a Republican or a Democrat one of two ways. Either you register at, with the party, 
um, when you go to vote. That allows you to participate in party primaries. But mostly, and this is how you get these numbers in polls, the pollster calls you up and asks you, are you a Republican or Democrat? And the same person can give different answers depending on how that person feels. Why is that important? Well, Donald Trump will often say that he has more support among Republicans than Ronald Reagan did. But when Ronald Reagan was president, about one in three Americans said they were Republican. And today, about one in five Americans, between one in five and one in four Americans, says they're Republican. So, yeah, Donald Trump has this grip on a party, but what he's been doing is driving people out of that party. What are the implications of that, then, both for Republicans, for conservatism, even for, you know, American democracy itself? Well, one of the implications has been that in the congressional elections of 2018, when the Democrats had their big sweep, the way they won was by winning a lot of areas that are historic, historic Republican constituencies. I'll give you some examples of that. Um, In in the area of Houston called River Oaks, that, um, that this is one of the more affluent areas of Houston. It was an area that George H.W. Bush won in 1966, and it stayed Republican through Watergate, through Iran-Contra, through the Iraq War, through the world financial crisis. It went Democratic in 2018. Newt Gingrich's former district in the affluent part of Atlanta, it went Democratic in 2018. You go through so many important Republican leaders of the 90s and 2000s and even the 2010s, their districts went Democratic in 2018. Basically what happened was... Um, where you had, you know, um, people with mortgages, college educations, um, you know, little little something in the bank, maybe own a share of a business uh, near a city, those people have flipped away from the Republican Party, especially the women. The women have flipped massively against the Republican Party, and the, so the party is becoming a kind of rural party, um, a party uh, that that is you know bunched into uh, some places that look big on the map, but that have small populations. You know, when we look back to 2016 and, and, you know, we were told that, you know, especially in the Rust Belt, there was a lot of economic anxiety that was maybe driving support for Trump or people were looking for an outsider maybe to, to shake things up, that there were maybe more respectable explanations for support for Donald Trump. What we saw on display last Wednesday, um, both in terms of those who were involved in this rally and certainly amongst those uh, who, who stormed the Capitol, th- this wasn't economic anxiety this this you know there were people who were looking you know for uh some change in politics there's something much more ominous or sinister at at 40 what is it about those individuals who were so passionate about this guy and are capable of doing the things that we saw last week one of the people who took part in the uh uh, attack uh, arrived in washington by her private jet she was a successful real estate agent in texas look it costs money uh, to get from wherever you are to Washington, D.C. Um, and uh, it costs money to stay here. And so the people who took part in that riot, as we're learning about them, um, they, they are not people with um, painkiller addictions, or maybe, maybe they do, but they're not, they're not economically hard-pressed. A son of a judge was one of the people arrested. A number of retired uh, military people. It looks like there are a number of um, police officers there. And, and a lot of people who are in a not, uh, good, steady, stable jobs. And this, is become, this has become a kind of anti-democratic political cult. You see its equivalent all over the developed world. There, um, there may be equivalents in Canada. Canada suffered rather less from this kind of politics. Um, but when you have people who just don't respect the outcome of elections if they don't win. 
Well, and that, that was, you know, the dangerous precedent here. I mean, it's, it's good to see now some Republicans, even apparently the vice president uh, called the vice president-elect to congratulate her today. I mean, Republicans acknowledging the election results should be a, a given, should be a no-brainer in, in the current context. It's almost something to be applauded. But the idea that the other side always cheats. So if they won, they cheated. If we won, they cheated. They just weren't successful in cheating. That, that doesn't bode well for democracy, does it? Yeah, but um, you know there, there are 150 million ballots cast in the last election. Um, is it possible that um, so, some of them were not valid? Sure, um, but the, it's important to understand when people talk about cheating what that typically means in the United States. When people cast a false ballot, the way that typically happens is um, somebody had a strong intention to vote some way, got an absentee ballot, and then died before election day. And their children, their spouse, tries to honor that person's wishes uh, by casting the ballot that they would have cast had they lived a little bit longer. And um, because those people are older, because the people who, who cast these false ballots are, are recently deceased, they're typically older, and therefore they're typically Republican. So you have, of the identifiable proven cases of voter fraud we had in 2020, the vast majority of them involve just that kind of person, a Republican who died and whose wife or husband or children tried to cast their ballot for them illegally. Right, which you, certainly doesn't fit with that narrative that somehow the election was, was stolen from Donald Trump. And I mean, Donald Trump has, has always been that way. I mean, he, he accused uh, Ted Cruz of, of rigging, I think it was not the uh, Iowa caucuses in 2016. I mean, anything that's ever not he gone Donald Emmy. Trump's way, so it Emmy was rigged. Being rigged yeah. when, <laughs> exactly. when, when he didn't win an Emmy. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, look, I mean, that, that speaks to, uh, I, I think, a narcissism that I think Donald Trump can reasonably be, be accused of. But when we look at certainly what's transpired in the last couple of weeks, or even since the election, I mean, it's, it's more than just narcissism, isn't it? Well, when, when um, people first saw the images from the Capitol, uh, they, there were a lot of the people who arrived there and didn't quite know what they were doing. And they milled around and they took selfies. And so people got those images early and saw something that looked like obviously terribly inappropriate and upsetting and dangerous, but didn't look as violent. Um, as we've been developing, as more and more videos come out, we realized it, this was a desperately violent event. And the, the core, the inner group, and there, there are a lot of people just milling around, but the inner group uh, who, who arrived, they were there to try to lay hands on Donald Trump's own vice president and put a gun to his head because they had this delusion, and it's completely crazy, but that he could Pence somehow had the power to change the election. He doesn't, but they convinced themselves that he did, and, and he had refused to do it. And so the, the answer, and this is the thing the president was encouraging in all those days before the election, when he kept saying, you know, January 6th is such an important day. Mike Pence has to do the right thing. He thought that Pence had this magical power, and he encouraged his supporters to use violence to force Pence when Pence wouldn't do it. They were going to, their, their plans to assassinate and kill other political leaders. And we came very close. And by the way, they all video with them. We had very close, came very close to um, these gangs l live streaming the execution of American political figures. Just think where we'd be if, if they'd been a little bit more successful. Well, we got more details today, didn't we, on just how close they were. At one point, they, they were awfully Second close, about a minute behind, yeah, be, be, behind yeah. Where, where the vice president was. So that's, that's horrifying to think. Yeah. So when people think about this, it's not just that the president incited violence. It's not just that he tried to overthrow an election. His scheme, the mechanism was an attack on his own vice president.
So with just days to go, I mean, it seems pretty clear that, that hey, Donald Trump's not resigning. The Senate's not going to have an opportunity to remove him, most likely. Um, the vice president almost seems to have, have taken over responsibilities here in, in these final days. Do you anticipate um, some relative calm or quiet, uh, at least coming from Donald Trump, who knows about some of his supporters? What, what are you bracing for or anticipating over the next few days here? Well, well this is a, fr- a Friday. It's 4.15 or thereabouts here on the East Coast. Um, we have had a series of, of pardon drops late on Friday nights. The president may try one of those tonight. Um, the president, the impeachment does put some pressure on Donald Trump because uh, Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate, who controls the votes that will decide whether the, whether the what happens to the impeachment and how fast, um, it, the impeachment of the House gives him the ability to say to Donald Trump, I can protect you if you behave. If there are no more outbursts, uh, if there are no more attacks, if there are no outrageous pardons, um, I can protect you. But if you behave, if you misbehave, I will stop protecting you, and you will be removed from office before uh, uh, January the 20th. The um, uh, impeachment process also, as the whole world is going to hear, there's some precedents from the 19th century, where impeachment trials can continue even after the person has left office. But, uh, there, were, there was a corruption case in the 1870s where a federal official, not a president, resigned to um, avoid impeachment, and the Senate put... The, the House impeached, and the Senate put that person on trial anyway uh, to say just resigning and getting out of town doesn't protect you if you've done something wrong. And do you think that's an important principle, one worth pursuing here? Um, I, I think we, we need to get – I've always thought it is much more important to find out what happened than to hold than to impose consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think we, we just need to get to the bottom of the important questions about the events of January 6th. Clearly, the military was missing, um, the National Guard. Was that, was that just sloppiness or bad information, or did something more serious happen? There are reports that um, some of the newly elected Republican House members offered some kind of help to some of the um, insurrectionists. Are those reports true, or is that unfair? Um, who were these people? How serious were their plans? Those are the kinds of things we need to get to the, the bottom of. Um, and uh, what exactly happens? The personal fate of Donald Trump, he's in a world of trouble of all kinds, business trouble, private lawsuits. Uh, I, I don't worry so much about that. What I do worry about is making sure that Americans understand what's happened to the country in the past four years, understand how many millions of public dollars Donald Trump paid to himself. David, we'll leave it there. Uh, DavidFrom.com, of course, is the website. Uh, Appreciate it as always, David. Thanks for making some time for us here today. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Uh, That is David Frum joining us uh, from Washington. Uh, DavidFrum.com, of course, his most recent book, Trumpocalypse, Restoring American Democracy. You can also read him at TheAtlantic.com. Uh, We'll take a break here. 403-974-8255 is a number. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.